The Charlotte Ledger Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Hi, this is Lindsay Banks, staff writer for The Charlotte Ledger, and you're listening to The Charlotte Ledger Podcast. You can find out more about The Charlotte Ledger or subscribe to one of our newsletters by going to thecharlotteledger.com. For today's episode, we're doing something a little different. March 2023 marks the Charlotte Ledger's fourth birthday, and in honor of Charlotte Ledger Month, we're exploring the Ledger's origins and how it's grown into what it is today. Today's podcast is hosted by Steve Dunn of Miles Mediation and Arbitration and Tim Whitmire, founder of CXN Advisory and a contributing editor to the Charlotte Ledger. They sat down with the Ledger's Tony Messia and Christina Bowling to talk about the origin story. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the Charlotte Ledger podcast. My name is Tim Whitmire. I am a contributing editor at the Charlotte Ledger and also the founder of CXN Advisory, which is a strategic consulting firm that works with growth-focused organizations at the CEO and leadership level. And I am Steve Dunn. I'm a mediator. I work with lawyers and their clients to help resolve their disputes. I'm also the host of the Steve Dunn podcast. We thought we would start our podcast hosting duties on the Ledger podcast with an interview with none other than Tony Messia, the founder of the Charlotte Ledger, and Christina Bowling, who is managing editor. Is that right, Christina? That's correct. Yes. Yeah. One of the things we, we wanted to talk to you all about today was to get into some of the origin story of the Ledger. So Tony, if, if you don't mind kind of starting off, actually tell the listeners where you and Christina and I first met and when that was. We all met working as young cub reporters at the Charlotte Observer. I met Christina in the Gaston Bureau. We were both reporters out there in the Gastonia office at the time. We had like 10 reporters and three editors. It was a big operation. <laughs> we had a daily section. We went head to head with the Gastonia Gazette. We yes, did. I mean, this yeah. for, for people who only know of printed newspapers as a really thin thing that gets dropped or maybe not dropped and maybe one person's house along your block or whatever. This was back in the days when the Observer had six or seven regional bureaus that were contributing to a, a main newspaper, right? Oh, yeah. Hickory, Concord, Monroe. What else? University City. Rock Hill. Fort Mill. Rock Hill. I mean, yeah. they were all over the place. So that's where I met Christina. And I know you and Christina also had a shared Associated Press experience. We, we, had, we had prior knowledge of one another. because Christina... I was on the New York City desk with the Associated Press from 96 to 98. Okay, and I was in the Albany, New York Bureau from 98 to 2000. Okay, so, so that was, yeah. So yeah. When, when you came down here, you and I already had known each other from when we were at the AP. That's, That's right. right. That's right. So And so we all were in that, that Observer newsroom together and kind of the early, I, I was in the Observer newsroom from 2000 to 2002 before I went back to work for the AP for another few years, so... That was that was kind of when we were all young and dumb, and there were a bunch of other people who were still in Charlotte who were there with us: John Goldberg, John and Rick Rothacker, Michelle Crouch, Pete Smolowitz, et cetera. So that was, and we've most of us have now moved on to other things. Is there anybody from our era still left in the Observer newsroom? Our, our contemporaries, no. There are some that have been there for a while that are still there, but you know, a lot of people have moved on, and you know, this is yeah. the, was the high water mark. Really, was those early. 2000s. I mean, if you look at, I think both in terms of circulation, newspaper revenue. I mean, those were the those are the big days. You know, you, they would send you across the country to go cover something. You know, no problem, put you on a plane, 
no problem traveling. And then a little bit after that, just before the 2008 financial crisis, like a lot of other industries, a lot of it started kind of imploding, a lot of cost cutting, and sort of been a lot like that ever since. To hear you ask the question about whether anybody's still around and to hear you tell the story about how it was in the golden age of newspaper <laughs> journalism suggests that there was a change and that the the business of journalism changed. And it was from that change that the idea of the Charlotte Ledger was born. That's right. I mean, I think that's right. I mean, I, I started the Ledger in 2019. I had been freelancing for a number of years, had been on staff at a national magazine for a couple of years. It folded in late 2018. And I started looking around local journalism, and I said, you know, it's really gotten a lot weaker since I was there. I, I left the Observer in 2009. And I said, you know, there are all these new technologies emerging. They're in different ways of telling stories about of doing responsible journalism. And I stumbled across one. Newsletters seemed like we're becoming a little bit of a thing. You'd you know, seen Morning Brew, Axios, you know, a number of different newsletter companies, you know, or companies that that told stories through newsletters. You saw them emerge on the national level. And I said to myself, gosh, I wonder if that could be done on the local level as well. So sort of gave it a go. And what was your, where were you, you chose to go with Substack early on. What was, what was sort of the state of play with Substack at that point? Yeah, you know, it was still in Substack's early days. I think it had been around for a couple of years. It wasn't, you know, as well known, I think, as it is now. Again, most people are using it for national type of, of publications, you know, technology, you know, world, world, national politics, those sorts of things. But I said, well, I said to myself, I think there might be an audience for responsible local journalism. It's just a question of, is that market big enough to actually build a business around? And I frankly didn't really know, but I thought, well, let's, let's give it a try and see how it goes. So I remember Tim, before I, I launched it, I remember talking to you, our, our sons did karate. To, well, my son, my daughter, Okay. It's hard to keep straight which kid does what, yeah. but it was my daughter that did karate, your son who did karate. And we'd run into each other at the karate studio, and I, I remember mentioning it to you, and uh, I say, "What do you think? Do I start something up on a local news basis? You know, journalism?" And I remember, do you remember what your initial reaction was? I probably told you it was a terrible idea because I tend to do that. I tell people they're terrible ideas, and then I realize actually that's a really good idea. So. You so didn't honest. quite say terrible. <laughs> I don't know if you said terrible or whether you're being <laughs> a little more tactful, which. Yeah, you, you you know, I don't know which one it was, but you kind of said, well, yeah, maybe, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> sure. Maybe that was your nice way of saying it was a terrible idea. But then I remember I talked to you about it some more, gave you a few other proof points, and you said, well, yeah, maybe that could work. Maybe that could work. I don't know. Christina, I'm curious about your experience because I imagine you're a little bit like me, somebody who knew Tony and presumably was one of the early subscribers of the Charlotte Ledger back when it was free, right? It was it was all free, right, in the early days. Is that right? And so I imagine you were an early subscriber, and at some point you thought to yourself, you know, I'd like to get involved with this organization. How did that happen? Sure. So, I mean, Tony and I, you know, cut our teeth in the Gastonia Bureau, and we never lost touch, like, ever after we stopped working together. And so, of course, you know, I was super interested. I think, I don't know that you and I had talked about you starting the ledger before that first email came in, but I remember seeing that and telling my husband, oh my gosh, he's doing it, you know? So for sure, I mean, I was super interested in, in what Tony was up to. I was at The Observer. I mean, I had been there since 2000 and like every other newspaper journalist in America was watching its size and influence just 
diminish. And so, you know, Tony and I kind of got, got, you know, we kept in touch. We, you know, I followed how it was going at the ledger, you know, was interested to see what kind of role I could play. And I think it was after Tony put up his paywall that we realized, hey, this could be an enterprise that that I may have a role in. So it's funny what my recollection, Christine, is yes, we did keep in touch. The ledger started in March of 2019 and it was all free for a year. We put up a paywall starting the end of February 2020. And I think you and I had coffee at the Starbucks on Ray Road down there. And I remember I said, okay, we're putting up this paywall, so let's touch base in two or three weeks and we'll see how it goes. And you were kind of like, yeah, let me know how that goes. I'd be curious to know how that goes. (laughs) And I remember, you know, and this is right as COVID is hitting too, incidentally, you know, March of 2020. And I remember, you know, uh, when they had that first revenue coming in, calling you up. Well, yeah. I'm sure we didn't meet in person because no. we probably couldn't then. I said, well, I think it went pretty well. well I think I, we can make this work. Well, I don't know if I ever told you this, but when you called me, I was I was driving home from uptown that day and you said, it's, people are, my, my phone keeps going off, right? Like you kept getting subscribers. So that was when I think it really hatched, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, gonna... when we said, I, I sort of said, okay. I mean, because you never know. You can put something out for free and people can read it and that's great. But in, if you're trying to build a business and make it sustainable and grow it, you newsflash need a form of revenue coming in. And so to see that Did revenue, you have any in, revenue before you went to the subscription, we've been calling a paywall. I, you might also can call it a subscription model. Yes. <laughs> All right. Did you premium did you have, content? There you go. Perfect. Did you have and it's freemium, right? Because there is a free version of the ledger, but for additional email newsletters and related content, you can pay for a subscription. Before you went to the subscription, did you have any revenue at all through advertising or sponsorships or anything? We, it's funny, you know, when I think about that first year, I often use we. It, it was really me full time. <laughs> I mean, I, I talked to Tim all the time. Tim was a great resource. I had a lot of other people doing things, but I was really the only full time person. So I slash we started selling <laughs> sub sponsorships that January of 2020. Now I'm not going to say there were people beating down the door, but we did have uh, I I did have a couple of people who were interested. Tr Line came on initially. They're still a sponsor of us today. So there it wasn't zero revenue, but it wasn't more than a couple thousand dollars either. There's a little bit happening, but it is, it's now a subscription business and you were pleasantly surprised when it went live at the response that you got. And, and the publication has grown into the multiple email newsletters that are published regularly and your community of subscribers has grown accordingly. And now my gosh, you even have a podcast, which is wow. truly, <laughs> truly the, it's the ultimate mark. Of it's a media arrived. empire yeah. at yeah. this point. Yeah. But I do want to point out that at that time, I mean, there wasn't exactly, there was no blueprint to follow. There was a blueprint of national publications having that same kind of model. But at the local level, there really wasn't a paid, you know, a subscription-based newsletter model. That really hadn't been done. And so I was just sort of winging it a little bit. Now, subsequently, there have been a few that I've been in touch with them. And But it, it was really interesting just to try something new. And what I remember from that first year from a lot of our conversations were around what is the model for this that could work? And we kicked around ideas of like, you know, do we go out and raise a bunch of money, you know, locally? Do we try to tap into, you know, some sort of high net worth individual people who want to see this kind of thing, you know, and it it becomes almost, you know, create some sort of 501c3. There's the grant model. 
there were did we talk we talked to people in Memphis who were kind of almost recreating the the Memphis Daily newspaper but online only so there was sort of this ferment going on in the business but you were very much like it was there was no clear obvious direction for how to take this or build a business model around it was, was sort of my memory of it correct i mean looked at had a lot of conversations yeah. talked to a bunch of different people i mean the, the consensus and the way most media businesses build is you know you you borrow a bunch of money you get some investors and then you try and get as much audience as possible and you sell ads off of that i wasn't really interested in that i wanted to try something a little bit different that was subscription based just because i thought the alignment there between the readers interests and you know that that we would have with the readers i thought was a, a better way to approach it i think one thing that's important to point out is that when tony started all this i'm not going to say he was unknown in charlotte but he wasn't like somebody with like you know 500,000 Twitter followers. Like, I mean, Tony really did build this from the ground up. And I will say, being in someone who worked in a mainstream newsroom, that he got definitely attention from the media industry quickly in Charlotte for what he was building. But I think it's a testament to him that he was able to, you know, he is a name now in Charlotte. And I would say, no offense, you're, you're, you're rolling your eyes. You are. But I would say back then, a lot of people didn't know who you were. And that's that, that's actually one of the things I, I want to talk to you about a little bit is you you sort of you become a leader in the space over the last couple of years. And I'm not you know, I, having been there sort of with you from the beginning, I'm not sure you ever intentionally set out to be that way. But the way things have evolved, as Christina points out, like not just locally, but like, you know, Substacks featured you several times on on interviews or written things, podcasts about how people have grown local media platforms. I think you've been featured in a number of different outlets online as well. Like, what? How did you sort of grow into that role? Was has that always been comfortable for you with this, or is it just more? I have the authority to speak on it because I've lived it now. I'm not really comfortable being at the center of attention. Yeah. I don't really like it. It's not who I am, but that's my role, and so it's a role I need to play. And that's that's just the reality of who it is. I would. I mean, I would be perfectly happy reporting stories, writing stories, you know, laboring in the background a, a little bit, but I don't have the luxury of that. I mean, I, I need to be out front. And, you know, I think this is a, a bigger trend we've seen over the last few years in media and in society in general is, you know, this, this idea of a, of a personal brand, about getting your name out, about having a personality. And it's not just, and, and but part of that come, I think is, it's sort of tied in with some of the ledger's success too. And people like having somebody that they can relate to. They like seeing a face, having a name, knowing, you know, sort of who you are, who you are and what your background is. And so that's sort of, that's the role I have to play. And so, yes, I would say I've grown into it. I think Chris, same thing with Christina, you know, we, and uh, you know, at the Associated Press where you both were, you know, it was very much, I, I don't think they let you have much of a personality at, at, there. No. Uh, now, I mean, times have changed. And so now it's a little bit liberating to be able to sort of say, okay, I'm going to take a little risk. I'm going to put some personality. I'm going to put in some humor. I'm going to put in a little joke, I'm gonna put in a meme, but you know who it's coming from. And you know, my name's on it or Christina's name's on it or Lindsay's name's on it or one of our many talented freelancers, their name's on it. So that is a shift. And so I think a lot of people are having to, to do that. Yeah. And I, and the thing I would add to that, that I would say as well, and, and not to sort of get into specifics about the, the local scene, but I think there is a lot of that sort of personality driven media going on now, but the distinction I saw with you and that I saw among a lot of the readers, because 
frankly, a lot of them were F3 guys. So, you know, I would go to F3 workouts and they'd be like, oh, did you see what Tony had this morning? Or you, what about that thing? And they knew that I wrote for it occasionally and that I was involved. And they'd be like, you know, why did you guys do this? And I'd be like, you know, <laughs> right. not me, that's Tony. But there's an element of knowledge and trust that comes into this as well. So like that, to me, the brand very early on and the reason you could sort of be a leader in this regard was that you'd lived here for 20 years and you knew the town and you knew what was going on and you knew how to sort out the hype from kind of reality. And to me, that the ability to build the brand around that, I thought was really crucial. And then you bring in Christina again, you were all sort of old heads at this point. We've been here for 20 plus years. Like she knows what she's talking about. She has deep roots in the community as well. And I, I think that like, if I, if I think about like, where you establish leadership, it was really kind of on the basis of that authority of kind of knowledge and, and insight. Yeah, I mean, to Christina's point about how it was sort of all built up, not because of my name or people, oh, it's like, oh, Tony Macias started a newsletter. I want to get in on that. Right. No, nobody, nobody knew who I right. was. But the, the quality of the work. And we're, giving, we're doing original work. We're, we're delivering information that literally you cannot get anywhere else because we work at it, we have connections in the community, and we tell people things that are interesting, relevant, important. I mean, that's, that's the basis of, of building it up. And yes, there is, some, there is personality in it, and it, it, there, that is tied into it, but I really think it's the quality of the work and the information. Like, we couldn't, we couldn't move this thing forward if it was just me and Christina, you know, yucking it up, you know, with each other. I don't know that anybody would pay to read our newsletters about just a bunch of stupid inside jokes. You're professionals example. and you bring a professional sensibility to a publication that also has distinct personality and a voice. And a lot of it is identifiable to you as individuals. It's consistent with what you're doing. And that I think is characteristic of the media landscape today is that it's personal and what, and there's plenty of that, right? There are a lot of snarky Twitter feeds in the world, and there's a lot of blogs out there that are filled with personality, but you bring your professional experience and your professionalism to it in a personal sort of way. And to the extent that with the addition of Christina, you're, you're doing stories like visiting the furniture mart with your mother, <laughs> right? right? It doesn't get much more personal than that. But that's that leads me to ask you what you see as being the what the ledger delivers, right? Tony, you just described it as it's original. It's stuff that you're not seeing anywhere else. Certainly no one else is going with Christina's mother to the furniture mart. It's like certainly that is true. But that is that is a type of story, and there are other types of stories. You cover a lot of business stuff. How do you, you've got a newsletter that's entirely dedicated to Charlotte FC professional soccer team? Like you've got a newsletter that is dedicated to obituaries. I'm I'm curious how now. You know, we talked about how you got started, but how you today see your offering, Christina, to the community? Yeah, I mean, I think that Tony and I think a lot about what's what's interesting, what's interesting to us, what's interesting to the people who read us. You know, there's, in, for a lot of media, there's there's just a lack of kind of understanding what the interesting stories are that are out there. There's so much happening in Charlotte that doesn't get written about, that is relevant, that's original. I mean, it's, we, I guess, kind of think about what are the big stories? What are things talking about? What are people talking about this week? What it, What's on my mind this week? What's on the mind of people who we know this week? And that's sort of how we kind of begin. You know, we, 
I think that our newsletter has personality. I think we don't want to be personalities. You know, we I think a lot about, am I putting too much of myself in there? You know, and I think about what are the stories that only I can tell in a specific way, like going to the Furniture Mart. I think that's kind of the origin of how we choose things, how we choose stories. There's something about, there's something, it's, it's the Charlotte ledger, right? It's not just the ledger. And so you're not covering a lot of international affairs or national politics or stuff like that. You're doing a little bit of sports, but not all sports. It's an interesting combination of things and it's changed over time. Yeah. I mean, I think that part of it is, it's not necessarily, it can't be the Tony and Christina show and like what's interesting to us today. I think it's finding what's what's out there that's interesting to other people and finding it a way. If, if I can make it relevant and interesting to me, then I'm probably doing a service to most of our readers. It's interesting because being out in the community, I feel like I hear a lot of people saying, they'll say, you know, it's so funny. I was wondering about something and then you guys wrote about it. So it's like, you know, we get these little kind of earworms and things that we're curious about and we put them out there and we realize so many other people are also curious about the same thing. So then I feel like that's sort of the magic sauce. If you keep your ear to the ground and yeah. you talk to a lot of people and you are into the community and you're out in the community talking to people, you pick up a lot of things before they sort of hit the mainstream and before, you know, public relations people start sending out press releases about them. So we've, I think we have a pretty good track record of being able to do that, of being ahead, of being on the, on the leading edge of some of these things before they really start taking off. Well, part of the reason for that is because you have this community of readers. And I do think it is a community. You've got a community of people who are interested in and supportive of the Charlotte Ledger. And I believe it's accurate to say that they've become quite a source of tips and suggestions for story ideas. Is that right? hundred percent. I mean, we do some of our, I think some of our best stories have been little tips. I mean, not necessarily fully baked, but hey, you might want to look into dot, 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 or, you know, let me forward an email that I got about something. For sure. I mean, th it speaks to the, the smartness, the intelligence, the connectedness of the people who read us and that we have a huge amount to owe to that. And I, when, one thing on, on that basis that I would ask Tony to go back to kind of that first year is my memory of when you launched it was you thought the ledger was going to be much more a digest of links than it was, and, you know, maybe one original story, and then we'll have a bunch of links to other stuff that, you know, the Observer, Axios, or I guess it was at the time Agenda is doing, or whatever, but I, that, I feel like that tipped fairly quickly to where your readership and people were coming up with ideas, and you found sort of a flywheel effect that helped you become much more sort of original journalism focused than you thought it was going to be initially. Absolutely, yeah, I mean, my original thinking was, I mean, we do some original content we do some it's known in the industry as curation right like you're, you're reading a bunch of different things you're putting in some links and then some analysis you know as someone who's lived in charlotte for 25 years or so i mean i feel like there are a lot of things i could i could help people understand things in a way that a lot of you know younger reporters might not be able to that was the original thinking but then as you know really as we got going i realized there's a lot that's not being covered you start seeing a lot more and we could do a lot more. And, you know, bringing Christina on with actual journalism chops, you know, <laughs> being able to go out and you know, interview people and report things that are original and having that background. So we really the capacity to do that expanded as we were starting to see more and get these reader tips like Steve was talking about and be out in the community. So um, 
that's really, I think, one of the you know, differentiators there. And we're not just rounding up links. And incidentally, at the same time, I think local journalism has continued to become more shallow yeah. and and cover less. And I mean, they be very much click driven. And they have techniques they use to sort of to juice that. But I think there's we're proving that there's an audience for people who want smart, original information about what's going on in their community. I think one other big piece has been bringing in some freelancers who are maybe recognize who are recognizable names around Charlotte. You know, a lot of people who had been you know who had left the Observer and who had huge followings and who were just very you know the experts on their field in Charlotte journalism and media. So I think you know we rely on a crop of freelancers and you know we choose them wisely in terms yep. of who has expertise who's got the reporting and the writing chops that our readers were going to want yeah those are really i mean one of the consequences of all the cuts in the observer over the years <laughs> a really deep talent pool out there of freelancers to draw on what does the future look like you're as of t- today you've got several podcast episodes already under your belt before this one so it is truly becoming a multimedia experience your any new newsletters planned for the future or have you got any other experiments that you're looking to undertake well we have nothing to announce at this moment steve i have, I have nothing concrete this stay is tuned share. yeah i mean I, you know i could i could hype something you know oh, come on you don't want, your, you don't, you don't want to hype the crossword collection by the time this airs, that might have might have already sold think, out. Well, that's true. Uh, I think we could probably still make it available. Whether or not so. it's related to the ledger specifically, I'm curious what what you think the future of the media landscape looks like. So you've you've mentioned that you've had some conversations with folks who are doing similar type projects in other cities. Is that right? And I'm just kind of curious what trends you think we might see in the coming years. Yeah, I was hopeful. I mean, one of the things in starting this is I saw some opportunity to build a business around you know, the things that we've talked about. But part of it was I was hoping we would inspire more people to kind of do what we're doing and to raise, you know, raise the roof a little bit and to, you know, to get better and that we would see more entrepreneurs do the sorts of things that we're doing in in different topic areas. I don't know that that's entirely happened in Charlotte. I mean, I think you're seeing other publications like ours pop up in other cities. So I guess I, I would just hope that there would be more people doing the sorts of things that we're doing. I can say there's certainly a market for it. I just think there are all kinds of different topic areas that people are interested in. And, you know, one of the trends in media is things are becoming a lot more stratified. I mean, in the old days, you would take the paper. The paper would have sports, local news, world news, opinion, comics, all these things. And it was all bundled together and delivered to your door. And maybe you didn't like the comics and maybe you didn't like sports, but you were kind of stuck with it. Today, you can basically say, okay, I just want to read ABC and, you know, that's there for you. I just think there are different niches of information that a lot of them that are still out there that are not really tapped fully yet. And so I think there's, I think there's a lot of potential to try to, you know, to try to fill those information voids. We're going to wrap that up here. Thank you all for talking with us about this. We're, you know, obviously Steve and I are, personally invested in the in the future of the ledger and and excited about it and proud to be a part of it and just a huge thank you to both of you for everything you've done on the journalism scene that's it for today the charlotte ledger podcast is produced by me lindsey banks you can find out more about the charlotte ledger or subscribe to one of our newsletters by going to the charlotteledger.com queen city podcast network.com 